Hello and welcome to Off the Record. We are closing out summer. Uh, the last few weeks we have been stockpiling episodes just in case one of us gets sick. But uh, so much has been happening actually the last few weeks, which is kind of a change for the end of summer. And we wanted to record a new, very on topic and very timely episode. Uh, so check us out. Keep updated with us at offtherecord.fm. You can find show notes to all the links that we're going to talk about in today's episode there. We've also been getting increasingly and increasingly more questions, which is so cool. Uh, a lot of you guys just ask really great stuff. So feel free to drop us an email or ask us something on Tumblr or Twitter as well. So uh, the first thing we're going to talk about today is the news that um, a mutual friend of Jesse and ours, uh, Tim Landers, has left the band Transit. We're not looking to talk too much about the uh, yes or no to any possible or not possible drama there, but more about what happens after a member of a band leaves that band. Um, so, Jesse, have you had to deal with this a lot over the years, I would imagine, in some capacity or another? As a, a lot. Yeah. I have not had to Producer, deal with this Producer, manager, <laughs> friend. Well, I think one of the first places we should start is how the general thing I feel, which is just people who comment on absolute punk threads are the biggest morons on earth, and I'm one of them. People being like, oh, this album is going to suck are idiots. I can remember back to when Taking Back Sunday lost John Nolan and everybody said that they were done and then that he was the genius of the band and then, sure enough, they make a fantastic record and Straylight Light Run, kind of the general consensus was sucks compared to... The Taking Back Sunday record. Taking Back Sunday like, is actually a really, really good it's example. It's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's that, that thing that it's just like you can't predict what these variables are. And yes, there is a thing that, yes, bands' sounds change and things like that when somebody leaves. But whether it's going to be good or bad, and especially, you know, Tim helped write the record. Apparently, they re-recorded a bunch of his parts, but it is his writing on the record and... You know, as somebody who's produced Transit Records, yes, Tim is an amazingly important part of that band's sound, and I would even argue the integral songwriter. So I would more fear for their next record. But even though I say fear, it does not mean that it's going to be good or bad. Stranger things have happened. It doesn't always mean the end for a band. There's crazy variables in that. Um, and, you know, it... it it's not the end, and anybody who th speculates those things and puts a solid hypothesis down is a fool. It's as stupid as predicting a presidential election two years out when presidential elections always change in the last 30 days. Keep hitting the politics, man. Just keep hitting the politics, my father. Yeah, anyway. Well, yeah. It, no, I think it's, there's, it's there's so many different uh, there's, there's so many different areas uh, about how how it kind of happens, and as a as a music fan, uh, as a general music fan, so whether it's me, Jesse, or a random person, why um, you first see the news and you're like, boy, this sucks, or maybe maybe it's Johnny Craig, and you're like, thank God they got rid of this asshole. But you you typically, <laughs> you typically have a violent reaction either way, um, assuming that you believe that that member of the band is valuable. Sometimes a bassist will get kicked out, and they'll be like. And a commenter will be like, well, I don't know what bassists are. Who cares? <laughs> but uh, someone like Tim. I think that that's a funny thing, though, too, is because what people don't always realize is, yes, the bassist can be a pretty insignificant member of the band. But the bassist sometimes is the person who, in practices, has the gut intuition and says, you know what? This part isn't good enough. We should keep trying different things. Or the bassist happens to be the person who pushes the singer and says, you know, uh, this lyric isn't good enough. You should write and rewrite it, and what makes the band go forward a little bit. So, oh yeah, and you and you of course never know. You never know either, like what the individual roles are for the band. Like, you know, some people may not know this or may not think about this, but like obviously, being a band is also a business. And if your bassist happens to tour manage you or handle all your press stuff or whatever, they're Obviously, music is the most important aspect, but uh, having band members that also do other things is so important. Uh, and you know, just because you may not think of a member X of doing something musically very important, which could very well be the case, it's just incorrect. Like, there's also other intangibles that people just don't think about. Agreed. Well, I, so I think that 
post the thing of how ridiculous it is to speculate about band sound, because as somebody who's created a lot of records, yes, there is so many variables and tiny little things that matter when somebody's in a room and like, there's so many members of bands that their big difference is just how they push the other members of the band. Like, you know, there's, you know, even a great example is um, Wayne left Man Overboard for a little while. And uh, the three songs we've recorded without Wayne, um, which are the three on uh, the human highlight reel, are very, very different than all the other Man Overboard stuff, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, and totally. Wayne in that band, while he does... And the funny thing is, Wayne isn't the uh, member who uh, starts the songwriting process most of the time. Like, it's usually Zach or Nick who come with a song skeleton. But Wayne pushes that band, and Wayne has this ear for detail that is totally different than Zach and Nick's, and he really is a really, really important member. And not to say that I think those songs are bad. I actually, Driveway is one of my favorite Man Overboard songs, but it's different for sure. Um, and I think that uh, we really get outside that. But the other thing I, I th think is really interesting is, so business-wise, what happens when a member leaves? And... Uh, there's some very standard things that I think people don't think about, and it's also a big deal um, with we kind of got into this, I think, on the episode that last aired since we put that out is that you got to make a band agreement, figure out what happens and who what the royalties are if somebody leaves the band. And um, a very standard thing is that when somebody leaves the band, uh, they no longer get any royalties except for their publishing and meaning that all they're really ever going to get from there on out is songwriting royalties. They're not going to get a cut of the merch, even if they helped come up with the band name. And that's a very standard thing is that whoever's in the band and actively playing in it gets the cuts of what comes in money-wise, except songwriting. And even then, let's say you're a drummer and you didn't contribute to melody and the band decide that they're going to take the traditional role of songwriting royalties, which, so the traditional role of songwriting royalties, I should say, is the actual law is only somebody who contributes to the melody gets it, but a very common thing in bands because money is so hard and it doesn't bode well for when you're um, a band and the person who writes all the songs is making, you know, 20 times the amount of money the rest of the members are. That creates some serious animosity. <laughs> a little um, bit. So a common thing is, is that whoever's in the, yeah, so a common thing is that whoever's in the band at the time when you wrote the song, um, that gets split evenly. And even when you're a band like The Cure, where Robert Smith writes and records almost every instrument in the band, um, he still splits it evenly with all the band members um, that played on that song on the record. And it's a very big deal about, like, yeah, how do you deal with that? And that's also why when we gave the advice that you need to come up with a band agreement sooner than later in your band and write it down, whether it's in a Google Doc or you go to a lawyer or your business manager, you got to get that done because this stuff gets brutal and ugly when it happens and you don't have that going on. Yeah, and it's all, you know, it's not necessarily the most fun thing in the world to figure out when all is well in the band, but it's more of just, uh, it's just more of a prerequisite thing that's super important. And you, know, you don't want to see fallout from that years on. You know, we see all the time in like just the public eye of bands throwing fits at each other 10 years later, five years later, whatever. And that's only become way more easier now just with all the avenues uh, we can post about things on, whether it's Twitter or Tumblr or whatever. Um, this is just popping in my head right now, but this band Versa Emerge, like they've had so many back members and once a year, one of them will pop up out of nowhere after you haven't heard from them in five years and will totally just bitch out their ex-bandmates or their label. And it's like, God, how is this happening? Like, uh, you know, some of it, of course, has to do with anger and maturity and all of that. But the other half is you don't, you just don't want people to feel cheated. And sometimes that's unavoidable, but you should really try to avoid it. And it's just, you just got to be smart. I think that gets to another thing, which is, um, don't you think, whether it's myself when I was younger or there's been a, some public speculation about why Timid Transit parted ways. Um, obviously, I think it's really interesting how much it poisons the well of a band when you hear about the shitty things that happen behind the scenes. And I think bands don't get it that a lot of the time they want to 
a member wants to say, this person's an asshole, you should be allegiant to me, this person did this bad thing, you shouldn't support them anymore. But really, it kind of backfires every time, and people don't like to know that their favorite bands even have problems. It's kind of like watching your parents fight. Like, you don't like to see that. It's ugly, and, you know, from from Property Zach's side, like, you know what, like, that does great for me, clearly. Uh, and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, you, so you're the one person who really wants to see this happen. Yeah, I mean, it does so well. And when it happens to, like, a random metalcore band that I truly don't know anything about or care about, it's funny, you know? But since we're just talking about Transit or any other band, right? Like, if Man Overboard broke up tomorrow and they all released statements about them hating each other, I would be so personally personally bun because I have some kind of emotional stake in the band, um, as do a lot of my friends. You know, same thing for, like, Modern Bass or even Transit. When the news about Transit came out, like, I was emotionally bummed and still am. That's because I have a relationship with these bands. But as a fan, when this happens to, like, you know, Motion City Soundtrack with their drummer leaving, even though those were for friendly reasons, He's still like blogging about it a year later and showing like that he kind of regrets it, but he's happy he did it. And all of that just kind of like sometimes that just now pops into my head when I'm listening to a Motion City soundtrack song. And that's not something anyone wants. <laughs> you know, that's a bummer. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and I feel I feel for the band members, I feel for the band as an entity. And but all this stuff can kind of just taint you. Like, uh, you know. I, I hope this doesn't happen. I haven't. This is not like something real that I'm reporting on. But let's say two other members left Transit suddenly somehow. That's not real. I'm just saying this as an example because that's the band we're talking about. Hypothetical. 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 Yeah. If that happened, then every every thread on Absolute Punk for the next three years until the band broke up would be about that, not about the music, not about the tours. You know, and that's so that's so devastating for a band's career. It's the end of it. Funny you use this example because when I was reading that stupid, stupid, stupid absolute punk thread, people were like, oh my God, well, the band's been done since Joe Lacey left. (laughs) I made those records when Joe Lacey was in the band. Yes, he sang parts, but the speculation people do and the stories they create in their head are so useless. And if you're one of those people who does that, Find something better to do with your time. I, I agree with the finding something better, but at the same time, that's just kind of what we do as 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 a culture at this point, right? Like, I, it, it does suck. It is a waste of time. If, you, if, if you're using we and including me in that, you don't think you I, ever like speculate stuff, even if it's not about music, like whatever it is. Like it's all it's so ingrained in us to just be like. We need to know everything, and if we don't know everything, then we're going to just make up these wild assumptions. And that hap- that happens all the time. And I try to avoid that behavior as much as possible, but I'm not going to lie and say I didn't do it in my, you know, half a life ago when I was 18. Totally, and that's where most of these kids are. And yes, that's what I am, essentially, too, you know, and, and I have different perspectives, whatever, whatever, but... I think it still is hard, you know, even with us saying, like, don't speculate or band X, don't be like, I hate this member that just quit. Like, these are all also emotions tangled with art. And it's really, that's such a hard line. Um, I have I have conversations with people all the time now, of, like how much I love tech and how much I would love to, in a in a alternative reality, like have Properties Act be a successful tech site, right? And part of that's because mm-hmm. there is no true emotion beyond your love for a company or product, which is much different than feeling attached to or creating actual art, you know? And that, that puts everything in such a different world, I think, because as, as, um, as clear and certain as you'd like to be without kind of bias, at the end of the day, it's art. And we as a as a continual society of thousands of years are, are affected by art in ways that not much else can affect us to except like love or hate, you know? And I think that, I think it's a little different as much as it's easy to say, be logical. People also blindly love or hate or whatever, something, some kind of emotion regarding to the art they choose to listen to. Yeah, I still don't think that means that we should waste our time thinking that we know what went into a creative process because it's so nuanced um, what goes into those and speculating that because this happened, you now know that this is done. I think that's some of the most wasted thoughts you can have. And to take it to the tech sphere, it's the same thing as when people say, oh, the CEO left this company, they're done now. 
oftentimes they get a new CEO and everything's great or even better. Totally. That's that's it's, very fair. Just it's just ridiculous to waste your time doing this. So the uh, the record industry, and this was a report that came out last week. It'll be linked in the show notes at offtherecord.fm. Uh, there are talks of the record industry making a standard global album release date. Uh, it looks like that release date could be a Friday um, versus a Tuesday in America. It's it's currently... So if you don't know, uh, release dates are different in most countries. In Europe, release dates are on Mondays. In uh, America, release dates are on Tuesdays. And in Australia releases are on Fridays. And if you think about it in sequential order, that Australian Friday is not three days after America's Tuesdays. It's four days before. Um, so the record industry is considering a standard. Uh, I am a big fan of this. I think that's a great move. Uh, the report is that they're considering doing it in July of 2015. This would obviously be a very big shift. I don't know that I love Friday as the date versus any other day, but I do think this is a really good thing. And we, I, I'll talk about more why in a little bit, but Jesse, what do you think? I think this is a great thing. And so we also got a user question about why was Tuesday the standard release date. And as the resident old man, I should explain this. Yeah, I don't um, know why. I managed two different record stores in the 90s, and I worked at another one. What happens is is on Friday, you get the shipment of records um, to your record store. But if that shipment for some reason didn't make it, you were out to lunch because, you know, a lot of record stores, like both of the record stores I managed, um, there would only be one employee on at any time. Um, so let's say you ran out to the soda machine and you missed the UPS guy. Um, then you had Monday to get the new release, so you didn't miss that big Tuesday rush of getting new stuff. Um, but so the other thing was that you also had time over the weekend to stock the shelves. And, you know, so I worked at a Tower Records for a while. And, you know, stocking the shelves at Tower Records, that really did take days. It was insane how many records we'd get in on a Friday. And, like, you know, it'd be boxes that are thicker and taller than six people standing next to each other. The whole thing would be that, yes, by Tuesday you have that. So that also is one of the big reasons we kind of talked about this in the past of why records pretty much inevitably leak by Friday before they're released because some record store gets it in and then some asshole. So a lot of these record store records also have a thing on the box that says do not open before um, Monday at midnight, but inevitably some asshole breaks it and then rips it and then puts it on the internet. There was a famously a, a record store employee who was doing this on What CD and Waffles and whatever one of those was the current cool one. It leaked whatever um, forever. But so anyway, that's why is that you know they wanted to ensure that no matter what by Tuesday you had this. And then the other thing about Tuesday is it's a pretty uneventful day. You know, you got all your stuff done on Monday. You have some time to get to the record store on Tuesday. Then the hype builds up by Friday, the weekend. People have said, oh my God, you know, this record came out. It just seemed to be a, a good idea um, for it. But increasingly what we're seeing is that, you know, it's now chaos and people are gaming the system by releasing albums on Mondays or Fridays. So they get on the charts twice. If you're like a Beyonce and you know, you have that much staying power that you can just break the internet with your release and people, and you know, it's the same thing with movies. People game this system. So to stay on the charts, but I do love the idea of this. Yeah. So on my end, and why I think it's great is, is things that you all alluded to. Um, everything leaks. Anyway, right? But that doesn't mean it needs to leak in ways that are just kind of dumb. And, you know, some idiot at a record store in South America leaking something a week early or three weeks early is dumb. Uh, that's what happened with Paramore's last album, actually. They had this whole thing where they were going to stream the album like a week early, obviously, like most bands do. But they were going to do it in a very large kind of mainstream way. And it was kind of lame in the sense that they were like, we're going to stream each vinyl side of this record over four days via YouTube. And think of that what you want, but there was a lot of buildup for it. And then all of a sudden, a record store in Australia, uh, sorry, in South America leaked the album like a week and a half before that. And that just sucks, <laughs> you know? Having, having a standard release date where deliveries are more concise all around is good. Also, it's a bummer to have to... 
as a manager for uh, like for real friends, this has been a good example. We've had to target all these special Facebook posts um, to be like, Germany, your album's out now. Australia, a day later, your album's out now. Three days later, America, like everything, just everyone being on the same page. The album is coming out on October, or what's Friday? Tomorrow is tomorrow Friday. The album's coming out on August 29th. Everywhere, like that, just that just makes sense. We're at a we're at a time now too. I think in technology and efficiency and shipping where we can hit a release day everywhere in the same uh in this like every on every date in different countries on the same day in different countries i don't know why these dates are different per country but i think that standard was probably set many many years ago or decades ago um and it seems like now would be the ideal time to uh to get on the same page with release dates and just make everything more efficient. You know, sometimes like <laughs> sometimes UK websites will get a stream of an album on Monday and then a US site will get a, an exclusive stream of the website on Tuesday because they're actually two different release dates. There's no need for that. So I, I like the idea a lot. I, I really hope it happens. Um I don't know that I love Friday as a date, um, but I also don't really think it matters as much because uh, so much goes into pre-orders anyway. Um, but I, I think it would be really good. I, I'm all about this. I really, really hope it happens. I haven't seen too much kickback either. Let's do this. Let's do this, the record so, industry. So here's the sad thing. What? What's the sad thing? It's not going to happen. Really? It's not going to happen. You think, um, we're that, you think we're that much a dinosaur? It's not dinosaur. It's that it's chaos, and it's that the amateurism... Of music now, like here's a great example is, you know, as we joke, I love obscure, weird dance music and I also love me some punk rock and bands don't need a conventional label anymore to get in all the stores and everybody does ridiculously dumb, poorly thought out things and tons of releases are going to come out on random days and there's still going to be so much chaos in the underground and yes, Lady Gaga will have a universal release date and all the big bands will have universal release dates, but there's still going to be tons of chaos and there's still going to be tons of bands who think it's a great idea to release their new release uh, Sunday on midnight or on Christmas Day or whatever other dumb ideas bands get about releasing their songs. You making fun of Tom DeLonge right now? I didn't know that this is something he did. (laughs) I I don't pay enough attention because I don't want to ever hear him sing another song again. Um, Jeez. I know. I'm sorry. I'm upset you like that. Um, it's just the thing because the, the, there's no central music business anymore there's no centralized thing of like just getting seven CEOs to agree on something it's it's too disparate uh, it's not going to happen you know music business wide I disagree I think it will happen like that I think if all the rec- the majors agree right let's just assume these things are happening the major labels agree run for cover is going to do it too that timing record is going to do it I, I get, I get the little, I get like the obscure dancing and the random punk band and Tom DeLonge, but does that matter? Like, I think let's think about a band like Coheed, who's now putting out their own stuff and does ridiculously amateur hour things at times in their marketing, especially because you're going to see more and more bands putting out their own music on their own labels. They're going to do dumb things because they're not going to be paying attention, and you're going to see that. So. It's never going to be that everybody's releasing on Friday. It's just never going to happen. You're still going to see albums pop up on Sunday at 10 p.m., especially as delivery methods. Like one of the things I think not everybody knows, too, is that like until three years ago, no matter unless you went through one of the big distribution services, if you used TuneCore, CD Baby, Reverb Nation to put your record up, it would often just go up at a random time. Now you can pretty much set that release date within... 24 hours, it's on every store with delivery. Before, you'd have to put it up at least a week early and say, yes, put it up on Tuesday. Now it's pretty much like you hit that button and it's up in every store within 24 hours. And you're still going to see people who, I mean, this is the other thing too, is music's going to start to become much more of an instant gratification thing. I see bands who, when I get done with their mix, want ask me if they can post it into their TuneCore album uh, thing within 15 minutes of me finishing the mix all the time. Does that matter for the nor- for the general, not the not the Lady Gaga consumer, but like 
if Real Friends album's coming out on Friday and Fearless is instituting that all of its albums now come out on Friday, like, see, see, but the, I, then who I, cares? I, like, that's the standard, right? The standard is not for the random, the standard's for the general. Yes, I, I agree with you there that this is going to be, this will become a general thing, but we're also neglecting that more and more bands aren't going to be on labels and they're going to be doing it themselves and those bands are going to do really dumb things because bands do really dumb things. I agree there. But I, 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 <laughs> I mean, that's something we can always count on, and that's nice. Yeah. I I think that there's always going to be a big chaos factor in this. I think the other thing is, too, is even if we say yes, that what I do think will happen is that, yes, that album will come out on the same day all across the globe for a lot of these acts. Yeah. That will happen, but what we're going to still see is we're still going to see the Black Keys and the Beyonce's go, you know what, everybody's putting it out on Friday. I'm going to put it out on Thursday so I go to number one for two weeks in a row. I love Beyonce. Anyway. That makes one of us. Yeah. Next next topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> we shouldn't start a war about Beyonce, Jesse. That would be bad. Uh, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I know I'm I'm in the minority. I'm, Lord is my Beyonce. Okay. Well, that's fair. You get. I think that evens out. Uh, <laughs> Okay. The NFL wants potential Super Bowl halftime acts to pay for the right to play. This came out early last or early the week of, uh, God, what is that? This week? I think it was this week. I don't know. It came out the week of the 25th or the week of the 18th of August. Um, kind of came as big news as they were. There was all this like, all the headlines were like, NFL wants Rihanna to pay to play the Super Bowl or, or Drake or something like that. It's an interesting thing. There was a lot of outrage. Uh, and my first reaction, I, I almost didn't even post it. Actually, I did not post it on Property Zach. I was kind of just like, this sounds like this sounds like a duh. Like, like why has this not been a thing for the NFL for 10 years? Uh, it, it just sounds very corporate, business-like, and sensible, not necessarily for Beyonce, but for the NFL. Um, and, you know, it kind of stirred up this whole pay-to-play debate uh, that we had discussed on an earlier episode that I will link to if I remember in the show notes. Um, do you think this is lame? Or in, do you think it's lame but reasonable and obvious? Or do you think it's just lame? I'm with you that, I like, one, I think the Super Bowl and sports in general are lame, but that's a different story. But I'm shocked this didn't happen first, like earlier. I'm... I, I, the most shocking to me thing about this was like I figured that was already why the Red Hot Chili Peppers' irrelevant, horrible, out of tune singing was already on there. You know, it, it it makes sense. It's the most visible moment on television there is each year. Of course, they should be doing it. But you know, is this going to continue the downward trend of how awful these halftime shows are? And you know, I will admit that I usually see the Super Bowl every year because I want to get drunk with my friends. But, you know, this. What, what does this mean? Like, the, only the bands who are totally irrelevant that they can think can do this. So, like, we're, we're going to get the Eagles playing a halftime show because that's one of the only bands that monetarily will be able to afford this. Yeah. So they're going to make this thing even more irrelevant. And, you know, I, I mean, judging by my Twitter feed, people were really not happy with Bruno Mars this year. But I'm, I'm, I like that guy. <laughs> I think a lot. You think only like someone like with the statue of like Bruce Springsteen are up there. Like, don't you think? I think it would come down to talking about album releases. Like, couldn't you see Beyonce is a bad example because she already did. Couldn't you see Lord if Lord? Mm, I don't know who the good example is. Mm, Drake. Lord is not Let's a just good say Drake. Jock band. Yes, yeah, Drake. Let's Drake's say Drake. Okay, so Drake has an album coming out the Friday after or the Friday three days, two days before the Super Bowl. And all the marketing, go, or most of the marketing for that release, then goes into the $2 million it's going to cost. Let's just say it's $2 million. I don't know what it's going to cost to to play the Super Bowl. And that, like, you can't really market anything on a bigger scale than that. So, like, what about something like that? Sure. I bet what I'm more saying is I bet you because of how much those ad dollars are, they're going to want so much money that it's going to probably price out Drake pretty fast. It might work for the first mm-hmm. year or two, but I think they're going to price out almost everybody um, because that's what our what's, what's Thomas Piketty call it. Uh, all right, I don't need to get this nerdy. Our, our ridiculous version of capitalism in America—that's what it is right now. 
I really do think it's such an obvious move, though, right? Like, how has this not happened already? That's kind of that's what I think about more than anything when I've thought about this. Is like, how how did this not happen ten years ago? <laughs> like, that's kind of just the silly part to me. I think I think that's the thing is is um, there's so many inhibitions in business that like we're like, oh, we shouldn't do that though. That are just getting thrown out the window because everybody has to squeeze every last dollar out of everything. Yeah. Everyone does. And then one thing I wanted to include in here was just that I was surprised it took like three or four days for the first band I saw make it a gimmicky thing where Yumi at Six uh, sent out a whole, like they sent out a press release. It wasn't just a Facebook post. Yumi at Six sent out a full press release uh, to everyone on their uh, PR list through their publicist that they are now offering to pay to play the NFL $2 million and then like $4 million for like stupid rules, but they will pay $2 million to pay the halftime thing. And that, I think that's where I, uh, that's why I said $2 million. So I do wonder what the actual price would be, but they're the only band that I've seen make it a gimmicky thing. And I was kind of surprised. Yeah. They're um, not a gimmicky band, kinda, right? I, no, I haven't really paid all. much attention they, to them for years, but <laughs> they were a gimmicky band. Nice. Um, so it was just that was that was kind of dumb, uh, and I'm surprised we haven't seen more bands do that. Maybe we'll get five seconds of summer to pay to play the NFL, and we can do a whole halftime episode about that. That sounds great. Wow, I really hope that. Happens. Yeah, yeah, I, I nearly shed a tear when I watched that VMA performance with them the other night. It was so bad. I didn't watch it. Oh, did they? I didn't even know they performed. Oh yeah, I, I, was, I, I forgot to make my snarky tweet at you when they uh, introduced them and cited Blink-182. I had a really good, funny one, and then I forgot to do it because I'm just filled with so many funny lines during those award shows so that someone get left <laughs> by the wayside. Blink-182 posted on Facebook today that they really appreciate Five Seconds of Summer oh, man. giving them many, many shout-outs everywhere. So I wish Blink-182 would shout me out like that, but mm. whatever. Mm. Don Giovanni Records... Uh, <laughs> they made a Facebook post this week uh, in juxtaposition to uh, the ALS challenge uh, where instead they poked at Asian Man Records and Recess Records. I did not know Recess Records was a thing. My bad. They poked, uh, they poked at these two record labels to, uh, instead of, I don't know, contributing to the Ice Bucket Challenge to instead... Um, to instead drop sexist and racist and homophobic bands. Uh, and those bands include like the Screeching Weasels, who are obviously a very well-known band, and other bands like the Queers. Um, I thought this was interesting because like, I'm, I'm obviously for not having sexist and racist and whatever music. Uh, I, I speak very loudly about how it, it confuses me very much about how uh, Brett Garowitz can go to sleep at night knowing that he he is sleeping on a mattress paid for maybe by Ronnie Radke, who is a woman beater and a just misogynistic person. Um, and I assume Brett Garowitz has many people paying for his mattresses, but uh, Ronnie Radke certainly contributes to a lot of it. And so on that on that side, I... Buddy Radke at least buys yeah, a chair or two. I yeah. get it a lot. Like, I'm all for that. Like, that seems disgusting to me. But this came kind of just, this came, hit me in a little bit of an off key and uh, like a tone deaf thing where if you're going to make, if you're going to call out something like that, it, it kind of just, I thought it was just so silly that they were like, forget the ice bucket challenge, something that has raised $20 million for a deathly illness uh, <clears throat> and drop two bands instead. And it kind of, to me, it kind of sounded like a little bit of a bratty, of a bratty thing when that could have been said on any day. Um, I think what's kind of just interesting, though, is the topic of, um, I guess something like Screeching Weasels or The Queers was much more acceptable like 20 years ago, right? When everyone was a little more ignorant yeah. to... Well, let, let, let me uh, let, let, let's 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 do old band okay. history here. Um, those were my two favorite bands when I was a teenager, um, and yeah, uh, the Queers for a band that's named something very 
what would seem gay accepting. I mean, they say faggot like every other word on some of those records. It was much more acceptable back then. And, um, I, you know, I, I often tell a story. So I was in Seventeen Magazine with my band back in 1995. And I wore a shirt from this band, Boris the Sprinkler, who were kind of a sister band to Screeching Weasel the Queers. And it said, I listen to Boris the Sprinkler and I throw like a fag. And it was poking fun at that anybody who would listen to this band is the biggest nerd there is. But it was so acceptable to say fag back then in that context that Seventeen Magazine put this in a national magazine that probably sold over 100,000 copies. And now, if that happened, they'd have to pull the issue from the shelves. Totally. If they overlooked that I was wearing a shirt that said faggot on it. Um, it would be on BuzzFeed for the next month. So I should say that in that context. Um, and I, you know, I didn't think much of it. I was, I've always been somebody who thinks homophobia and racism and sexism is disgusting. And you didn't think that much of it back then. And even into the glass straw, census fail, let it unfold you era of saying extremely misogynistic things and violent things towards women. And that still obviously happens. You have asking Alexandria who says some of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. The times have changed, and um, I will also say this, that Ben Weasel, I saw, I saw the Screeching Weasel reunion last year. The show was unbelievably great, but he is so mentally ill between the punching women in the face and the stuff he says between songs. He's like the Michelle Bachman of punk rock. Like He's just mentally ill with crazy conspiracy theories coming out of his mouth at all times, and he's just, he's not mentally fit. I actually sympathize with Don Giovanni on this. Of uh, I'm like, yeah, we should not be supporting this person. But then I'm also conflicted because those are some of my favorite records. Those screeching whistles. I don't. The queers didn't hold up for me. Um, when I go back and listen to their stuff, it doesn't really do anything for me. I also say this: I saw the queers play a round of shows. Uh, in the last year, and it was one of the opposite of the Screeching Weasel thing of, like, I was like, I'm never giving this band money. They put no effort into their show. They don't even know the innings. They were so drunk and stupid, or I don't know if they were actually drunk. I shouldn't say that. They played the same song twice and didn't realize it. Oh, God, and I went really? up to the bassist afterwards. <laughs> I was like, that was... Oh, yeah. I was like, you know, you guys played, like, this song twice, and he said, ah, oh, shit again? Oh, my God. So, yeah, like... The lack of not giving a fuck, the, the level of not giving a fuck that they're on is ridiculous. Um, and you know what? I agree. These bands shouldn't be on it. And like the first record in my discography is on Recess Records. I did background vocals with Joey Ramone on a song, which I lo love to brag about. Very punk. And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm the punkest person alive. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> everybody has the right to do their business as it is. But you know what? Asian Man takes a big, big stance against this type of stuff. And Recess Records is run by a guy who is in a band called FYP who were pretty politically correct uh, for their time. And to, yes, have these records in their canon does make it a little bit weird, um, considering how kind of PC both these labels are. And I understand his will to say, it's kind of hypocritical that you support these two massive, bigot, weirdo idiots. Yeah, I thought it was weird. I think I was a little uncomfortable that I was, I was like, God, who is calling out Mike Park for anything right now kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he seems like a really great human. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the interesting, just like I was saying, the, is when, like, how, when, this, when does this stuff start stop becoming acceptable? And, you know, if... I don't know. I don't know if a metalcore band that writes all this disgusting... Like, metalcore bands still get away with this today, though. And everyone knows that, like, you should not be putting, like, like bitch, suck my dick on a t-shirt and selling it on Warp Tour. Well, every, everyone, unless you're Amir, Attila, right, exactly. and or so all this stuff still happens. And um, no one's defending... Like, I mean, some people defend, but like we're obviously not defending Capture the Crown, who do that. Uh -uh. Oh, I didn't know they do that. Oh, they do that. Um, yeah. And like I think that's a disgusting practice. However, I don't think Screeching Weasel is selling a bitch-suck-my-dick shirt at, at their shows right now. Um, yeah, but he's punching women in the oh, face. Oh, no, well, that's and, obviously, and, like, unacceptable. No, like, that, I'm uh, not... 
Yeah, he said, and every other word out of his mouth at that show I saw this year was faggot. Hey. So I saw it like, uh, uh, so should they? I just don't, at what point do we have to say, like, at what, at what point do we have to clear out all of that from the past? Um, like, you are so, you know, if, if some of those are your favorite records, they always are nostalgic to you. But do you then, like, feel guilty about yourself for not being politically aware or correct about things that are standards today for good reason that weren't 25 years ago? Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of, it's just a hard thing, I think, to separate the two. It's not about 25 years ago. I think everybody could see that the, the past thing. I mean, like, let's be honest here. Like, you know, like ACDC has a song with the N-word in it that gets played on the radio every day. Like, people accept that things have changed and that you can't hold everybody to the standards. It's the fact that these guys keep doing it today. And like, you know, Joe Queer posts insane things that are like, you know, like make Republican senators seem like reasonable people. It, it, I, I get it. Like, if you're going to say I don't support homophobia, why are you giving this guy a paycheck still? It's a very relevant question to ask. I think maybe some of the way he did it was pompous. But I think we should challenge people if they say this is this is an important thing to challenge people on. It's like, you know. Toxic people putting toxic things into the world is a, a serious thing, and we should take it seriously. And we should challenge people. I just think sometimes doing it in a Facebook post is as lame as Sarah Palin's existence doing Facebook posts. It's just it's tacky. It is tacky. Do we want to do we want to wrap things up with a few listener questions? Yeah, let's do some listener questions. All right. So this is a question from someone who's anonymous. You guys always ask anonymously. You could just. Not be anonymous. Uh, we're not gonna like hurt you. Uh, we'll, say, we'll say we'll say your name on the air. Don't yeah, you, want like that you could fame? be famous. Come on, <laughs> I run property of Zach. You know how famous I am. Come on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the city I live in doesn't have much of a music scene, but there is one small indie label that produces the type of music I would like to do in the future. I found the owner's information online. I'm still in high school, but I know I want to get into music. Can I email the owner and ask for an internship? Is there any chance they'll take me? And if not, what are some things I can do right now to get ahead, even though my city doesn't have a local music scene? Uh, so the, I think the clear the, the clear question for, yeah, go for it. Uh, people love competent interns. Uh, hopefully you're competent. I'm going to assume you are. Learn Excel HTML or some form of graphic design, and they're going to love you. Yeah, never never feel afraid to ask someone if you can help their business. And what I would say is... For free. For free. For free, yeah. We love free. Um, yes. What I would say is if you are looking to do that, also come up with some ideas of what you can help with. Um, so for the example, for this person who asked us this in your small town with a small label... You know, if you think they could be doing things better on 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 like like social media, or you like, hey, uh, I'm actually really good at art. Maybe I can help you with designs or graphic things or whatever. Or I know how to do HTML. Let me handle your Tumblr design. You, oh yeah, you. Oh God, uh, that's that's what, that's my month of September. Yeah, and you, you oh man, <laughs> that's rough. But you you want to know one skill if you if you're like hey I want to work at work at a record label and get my foot in the door and maybe you want to be A and R one day but you want to just get your foot in the door learn how to make lyric videos or single screen videos for YouTube and man you're just gonna you're gonna walk right into that door if you're good at it totally yeah and so definitely like if you come to the table with stuff and you're like yeah like this is what I think I could be really beneficial to your business in that I want to support anyway. Do that. Like, that's awesome. If if someone emails me for, let's just say, Property Zach, and they have a resume, and they have writing examples, and it's really good, that's great. Like, we'll probably take them. But if they also come to me and they're like, hey, I noticed, like, you guys seem to be liking to do editorial stuff now. I think I could really add to this voice. Like, that's awesome. Knowing what someone wants to be doing. A lot of time there a lot of times with interns, and we've talked about this on a very early episode of Off the Record, but like I think Jesse said it for producing, like there's just not that much stuff to do, or you'll have to you won't know what to what to dish out for work, or you'll have to spend so much time training. If you can come with specific ideas and specific purposes, that's great. One, it's beneficial for you because there's gonna be less time kind of just like 
fucking around at work, being like, I just have this internship. I don't really do something like you want to be doing stuff. That's good for you. Um, so I would say, yes, like email that person, uh, on a bigger, on a bigger picture, record labels like Fueled by Ramen, Run for Cover, No Sleep, Rise, all post about needing interns once a season. So definitely look out for them as well uh, if you are not in a small local area. The second question was, what was the second What they question? could do in their local um, music scene, which I think that's boundless. Uh, you know, uh, what you can do is if there's a promoter or a place that does shows and you want to bring up your scene, you know, Make more flyers for it or start connecting bands and start throwing shows or, or start make a compilation on Bandcamp of the bands that you think should be joined together in a scene and have all of them promote it. Like you can do so many, so many cool things. I mean, that's really the just up to your imagination. Um, I think there's so many things that can be done there. Yeah, and we we talked about this on the last published episode as well. Um, you know, we talked a lot about if you're in a band, like meet friends of yours in meet mean sorry uh, meet like minded bands uh, or music people in your small town or in your small town next to yours or whatever. And that goes the same. That's kind of the same thing. Whether you're playing in a band or you want to have a record label, you want to manage bands, you want to be a publicist, whatever. Like that's for everyone that wants to be involved in music. You got to know people. Uh, whether, you know, regardless, just hang out with people. Uh, you may not have, I wouldn't hang out with people in the sense that you're looking to just start businesses and do business with random people, but you never know what's going to transpire years down the line. For example, I knew Thomas for, uh, three or four or five years before we started bad timing. And it got talked about one day randomly, and the next day we co-owned a record label together. But that was after five years of relationship. Sometimes that just yeah. happens. And and that that's kind of the best. So what I would say is just just meet people. Do 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 it. Uh we, we talked about this as well. Like it sucks to just say the best thing you can do is to just do something. <laughs> but that's what you that's just the truth. Um just just start doing what you want to do somehow. If it sucks at first, that's okay. Get better. Properties act sucked for a really long time. Many people still think it sucks. That's okay. Strive to get that's better. It, I think because you basically said anything I would say aside from, you know, make like the Gorilla Biscuits and start today and like, yeah, just get going. But like, that's, that's, a good that's, that's such a good, good record. Um, I wonder if I'll ever listen to it. Probably not. You're going to suck at first. And you shouldn't be scared of that. That's part of the process. Ira Glass from This American Life has actually a great essay that I'll link in the show notes on this. But like, anytime you start a new skill, you're going to suck. Don't be afraid. That's why people get into punk. It's really easy at first. You just play What's My Age again kind of badly and change some chords. And, you know, eventually you get good enough to play like a, a really sick riff from a four-year strong song or something. And The sickest of riffs. I mean, those riffs are kind of sick, man. They are. Oh, God. I was listening. To, I was listening to Enemy of the, the World this morning to get pumped up. For, for it's vacation. so good. Yeah, it is insane how good it is. Yeah, I was, I was, I, I was doing some push-ups, getting ready for this vacation. You are not doing push-ups. I, Don't lie have, to me. Have you seen this split body on me? <laughs> God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> on that note, do you have any recommendations? <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, you're swallowing. Yeah, do push-ups while listening to Enemy of the World. Um, if you want to be a bro easy core guy, that's what you have to do. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I'm there's so no bro. other way. Yeah, I know you are. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, uh, what do I recommend? Uh, I'm going to be very self recommendationing. Knuckle Puck just put out a new song and announced a Flexi Seven Inch on Tuesday. Uh, no, that was not on Tuesday. We announced it on Wednesday, uh, August 27th. It will be released on September 2nd, the day this episode will come out. Um, it's called Oak Street, uh, and it has a uh, has a song as well called Home Alone. Jesse actually did pre-production for all these songs that you'll be hearing sometime soon. Uh, it's really cool. We sold a bunch of Flexies online, but they'll also have them on their upcoming tour with uh, Senses Fail, so check that out. I recommend it too because I listened to some of it this morning because you were nice enough to send it to me, and it's great, and people should support that band. Um, the other thing I'm going to recommend is um, I saw Basement this week, and 
Um, it was just so, so good. And it was so good because when I mixed their uh, record years ago, I just didn't think, I thought that this was going to be an amazing band that people didn't get. And it was so nice to watch 2,500 people singing along to those lyrics and appreciating them. And their new EP is awesome. And people should give them a chance and listen to them and go see them and support that they're making music again because they're an amazing band. Yeah, I also saw Basement last week and it was such an experience and so cool. I saw them on the first ever US tour that Property of Zach like sponsored. It was with Half of it was with Such Gold and half of it was with Daylight. And they played this shitty room called the Astron in Brooklyn. And I think That's there were That's not a 50... shitty room. It was then. Oh, yeah. No, actually, you know what the funny thing is? What it used to be called Bushwick Music Studios. Man Overboard, Such Gold played there. And I think I tweeted 16 years of punk shows. And this is the worst venue I've ever went to. I was 16 years old and I was allowed to buy double whiskey and a beer for $5. <laughs> 16. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, it was awesome. I liked it a lot, but it was a really shitty room. Yeah. At that, they they made it nicer now. But anyway, like I like they played to fifty or less people, and uh, three years later, I just saw them play to twelve hundred people, sold out at the best room, the best venue in Philly, and it was just so wild to me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, keep supporting that band because they deserve everything. And proof but, of the democratization of music, which we talk about all the time on this podcast. Yeah, go basement. Go basement and go us, because we're always right. We're always right. Thank you to everyone for listening to Off The Record this week. Head to offtherecord.fm to check out show notes, to leave us any feedback. Jesse can be found at Twitter at Jesse Cannon. I'm at Z Zarillo, and our podcast is at Off the Record FM. We'll be back next week. Bye.